You're listening to The Razor's Edge, an investing podcast. Your hosts are Akram's Razor, an investor, trader, short seller, and deep dive researcher for the last two decades plus, and me, Daniel Schwartzman, who's worked in investing media the last decade while managing my own stocks. We break down investing themes or ideas and speak with expert guests to get a wider understanding of a given topic. To get episodes of The Razor's Edge, Subscribe to this podcast wherever you get podcasts. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if you have a chance, or share this show with a friend. Reach us on Twitter at at Daniel Shortman or at Akram's Razor. You can subscribe to Akram's The Razor's Edge newsletter at the-razors-edge.ghost.io. The link is in Akram's Twitter profile. Here's our disclosure. The views discussed belong to either Akram or me, respectively, or to our guests when we have them. Nothing on this podcast should be taken as investment advice of any sort. We'll disclose any positions and any stocks discussed in the introduction to a given episode. It's been a while, but we're back after another huge week in the market. Last week, 35% of the S&P 500 reported earnings, among them all of the biggest tech names. The headline grabber was Meta Platforms, formerly known and still often referred to by me as Facebook. Mark Zuckerberg defied expectations of cost-cutting and limiting CapEx, and investors were not happy with him, with the stock plunging 25% the day after earnings and tailing off from there. The question, how much of a choice did Meta have? We discussed the company's position, their need to finish new projects yesterday, and what the recent shakeout means. We also discussed Amazon, and specifically AWS and Public Cloud. Beyond discussing the details of Amazon's position and the retail business, we also cover the challenge in just presuming a business is an unstoppable, greatest business ever type model, what the downturn in VC spending might mean for big tech, and why the generals getting shot happened even as the market went up last week. And because reasons, we briefly wrap on the Twitter affair now that the Elon Musk deal is finally closed. For disclosures, Akram mentioned Halliburton, which he is long, and I am long Apple. Okay, here we go. Akram, how's it going? Good. Long time. How's it been? <laughs> yeah, busy. Busy markets, busy work, busy stuff just uh, keeps happening. I, uh, I take the blame for not getting us on the pod to talk more about it. No, no problem. Um, yeah, no shortage of stuff going on last week. So we're recording this on Sunday the 30th, right before Halloween. Last week was a, an interesting week because it was a scary week for a lot of the biggest names in the market. 35% of the S&P 500 reported. And I think of all the big tech names, the only one that did well in response to their report was Apple. And that was also kind of a weird, like a huge move and a weird one. But I think we got to start whether we want to keep the Halloween theme or not, I think we got to start with uh, meta platforms and the, com- <laughs> the company formerly right, known right, as Facebook. Right, 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 yeah. Right. yeah. 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 They're, they're, they've put on a costume. It hasn't really worked for them. And it was, you, you wrote a few times on, on your service about this. And I think it's a really, I'm not in the weeds, but I do think it's a really fascinating story about uh, both comp- comp- competitive dynamics and when you're a big 
balance sheet rich company, how do you respond to a recession and so or into a downturn? And so what what's your you where do you want to start with Meta? I think Meta is the most interesting one to go. To. So I guess we should start. I mean, Meta feels like an expectations thing. So I guess we start with, you know, where I was and where I guess you can argue a lot of people were uh, thinking going into the print. Um, and the just kind of general view, you know, Meta has been getting cheap and cheaper and cheaper. And, you know, the whole the value trap debate uh finding its legs clearly also at the same time attracting some people who are like huh get to buy a, a historically great business uh you know as it's going through some tor- turmoil so you had kind of those two uh you know competing market forces pushing against each other as we were coming into this print and yeah, I mean, like, I guess kind of an important print in the context of the focus on uh, cost cutting and cash, free cash generation, FCF multiples, right? <laughs> and uh, and uh, uh, figuring out like what your like what your downside is if you're buying it. And I guess, uh, yeah, I was kind of keyed in on that. Uh, I bought some meta, like 127 or so. Uh, about a week and a half probably before they reported. And I mean, I don't know if you read my write-up on it, but like, you know, it was a very simple explanation of why I went long. Uh, I generally, I viewed it as, you know, buying like a pro forma, you know, 290, 285, 300 or so billion dollar enterprise value company at about 10 times you know what i figured that free cash flow multiple would be uh a year out which we can get into as you know in hindsight kind of probably being not the way to think about it but i did have good reasons so you know there's been a lot of leakage well first let's start with the obvious like you know what meta tells you and meta had told you that you know on their last call they thought they they thought they'd be a smaller company exiting 2023. And then since that last call, you know, a bunch of Wall Street Journal and reporters and whatever articles that Meta is targeting, you know, 10 to 12% OPEX cuts, right, for 2023. So I think that's kind of an important thing because that did create kind of an expectation into the call, which completely got, you know, flipped upside down. (laughs) <laughs> like within 30 seconds of reading the press release. Uh, but that was one. So you kind of go into the call expecting uh, Zuck, who was like at about a six, you know, if we're going to say like on a volume basis on uh, costs, you know, taking that up to nine on this call. And the second thing that I particularly had been peed on is I'd been doing the work on uh, MetaQuest 2. Uh, component costs and like they don't break it out exactly but like just trying to figure out what they were losing per unit on like the 20 million or so units they've sold since the end of 2020 so trying to essentially get at that number which was uh the percentage of reality labs losses uh that would reverse 
because A, they hiked the price by $100, and B, uh, the new MetaQuest uh, is targeted at you know, developers and that they wouldn't have a consumer MetaQuest you know, refresh, you know, your, your PS1 to PS2, right? Or PS3 or however you want to call it uh, in 2023. So with that in mind, I came up with about $3 billion or so, like a, a range, but like somewhere between one and a half to three, uh, excuse me, that would come back to them on the bottom line uh, in 2023 because full on expecting less Oculuses, less MetaQuest 2s to be sold than were sold in 2022. Very reasonable assumption. You know, third year of the cycle, uh, people aren't using them. Uh, it's not a hardware problem, right? It's a VR problem. Uh, so you would expect a big drop off in those sales. And the fact that they also hike the price, uh, whatever they're selling on a per unit basis, they lose, they lose uh, less. And they did disclose in their 10Q a favorable adjustment of about $500 million in Q2 uh, based on their loss assumptions on cost of goods sold purchase commitments for the hardware components, right? So you even had something there to key in on. So that was two. Three was CapEx. Obviously, CapEx 2022 uh, up 70% percent or so from 2021 uh, that's being driven by uh, you know across the board uh, revamp uh, let's call it an upgrade of their infrastructure to address both the combination of lost signal and the shift away from the social graph right to compete with the TikToks of the world uh, and, and essentially change the way content is driven on, on the platform uh, you just just well, to interrupt. You said lost signal. You mean about the that's related to the Apple, Apple ATT yeah. stuff? Yeah. Yeah. So like basically whatever that they're investing in their ad tech existing stack uh, to uh, to provide uh, advertisers, uh, you know, the information that they need that Apple has taken away from them, which they felt that they could address, and we'll get more into that later uh on their own and that that's been like you know that's a decision that's been in the works so with it jumping so much there was again another mistake on my part here because facebook is textbook i mean you know i chided people last year on their q4 when a lot of people were shocked by some of the cost stuff and like they told you all this on q3 <laughs> you know <laughs> like you didn't care then, but now you're caring more because uh, you're seeing some of the IDFA impact. Like that was kind of the beginning. You know, if you want to look at it, we're now like one year into this of the meta pain every time it reports earnings and the drama. So uh, they didn't tell you that CapEx would, was going to drop in 2023. I guess that's just something that I, I wishfully read in and, and clearly others did too, right? Uh, <clears throat> on them articulating that there is a significant component of their jump in CapEx that is being driven by, you know, uh, rapid machine learning uh, upgrade spend. So we don't really have a context on like, 
what that'll be, but now you do, right? Uh, but we'll get to the now you do afterwards. But yeah, so those three things really kind of drove my thinking, right? Which was I really, spent, really on the cost side, right? Like really correct. on zero focus. I spent no time. Like I, Daniel, I, like I'm not thinking that like I'm go. There's enough people who spend a ton of time on Meta and like the advertising business and you know impressions and and pricing and click-through rates and, uh, you know, what they're doing in reels and engagement. Uh, and I had just, you know, I'm not going to add much there, I concluded. Uh, I did take a view that, like, there's clearly a lot more uncertainty around that, uh, coupled with the macro. And uh, that I would take a position that I would not touch for a year because I would bet that, you know, everything around the core advertising business, it more likely than not works itself out because it, he essentially invented this business, right? And he knows what he's doing there, right? It's not like the meta debate where like he's betting on something that he potentially doesn't know what he's doing. And like there's there's stuff tied to meta where like you can legitimately say, I don't like he like I wouldn't do this. And I think other executives wouldn't do what he's doing here. For example, just the, a consumer refresh in 2023. Like, if you ask me, it would make sense to do it in 2024, right? Like, target Christmas 2024, okay? Because just the not being a hardware problem and, uh, you know, where the economy is, like, going over the next six months and, like, this kind of just general overhang on you know, tech gadgets that have been bought during COVID, right? Uh, I would just think that like the last thing, you know, uh, kids are asking Santa Claus for uh, in 2023 is the new MetaQuest because uh, it's going to allow them to have Pete when they're playing or something. I, don't, I have no idea. Uh, so... Uh, I guess that would, would that's something where I would be like, hey, Zuck, why? now you can maybe argue that like when they rebranded the company and I mean, he's also clearly doing something with augmented, rea augmented reality, which we haven't seen yet. So like, it looks like there's a lot he's committed to on like a two-year time basis, right? So there's like a development schedule, you've hired people, uh, you, have, you have roadmaps, uh, you've contracted with, uh, you know, component suppliers, you've contracted with you know these people to assemble you're doing testing right like you have to pick a target date uh doing something on this scale right so maybe that like you know where they're at right now that's one thing they just can't walk back yet right and uh like the communication on this call can definitely be more read to signal to you that if it's not working after 2023 uh the losses will shrink either by it working, right? Or if it's not working uh, by us reducing investment. I mean, it wasn't explicitly said and going back to uh, uh, what goes on with Meta, but like it was enough said there where like he's essentially telling you like the losses will come down because revenue will go up. Uh, so you can kind of figure out the other end of it, which is that, and he's saying that they're going to be much more, they feel they're, they're where they exited Q3 on Reality Labs from an OPEX standpoint is where it's like where they're comfortable needing to be, right? 
so the next thing that happens in reality labs is not like a big uptick in hiring it's if it is it's a positive because something has turned into a gigantic hit right uh otherwise it's a big cut because uh they're they're going to reevaluate their investment uh there so yeah so summing that all up totally focus on the cost take a 5% position uh i wasn't in front even in front of my computer when it popped i had popped my phone i saw it went up to like 140 so when that happened like i instantly opened it read the press release and as i was you know seeing the revenue number i was like oh nice and then I made it down to the costs, you know, planning for guidance. And like everything was the opposite, right? And like OPEX is going to go up because of the annualizing of uh, uh, the delta between Q2 and Q3 of uh, Reality Labs and, the, and just the broader business. Uh, but that's it. Like it kind of stops there. That's what they're telling you. CapEx, they gave you 33 to 38 which generally means they probably come in at the low end. So call CapEx because uh, they've been pretty good at doing that. Uh, call CapEx flat, uh, maybe down a, a tad, but like I was looking for like five or 6 billion less. And then there's the, you know, significant cost of goods uptake, which to me was like the instant reason to sell immediately uh, on uh, MetaQuest 3 consumer launch, right? They're pricing that in. So like, just as I was getting excited about them losing less of MetaQuest 2, uh, they have a new console, which they're looking to subsidize somewhat uh, to sell to consumers in 2023. So yeah, once uh, you went through, I mean, I just sold it immediately. Like, uh, and it was definitely the right move. Like you couldn't ask for, uh, like it literally just said you got everything wrong. I told myself that normally I'd be down 30%. I'm doing something like this. I'm down four, <laughs> and uh, I, I clearly uh, I'm missing something. And of course, I mean, also the same way, like you know, the, there was the altimeter note on Monday, which I felt like initially was, you know, I guess like my initial take was a little critical of their view, being like, you know, Zuckerberg's already told you he's going to do all these things, right? Because they're like cut headcount twenty percent. Uh, cut capex to here, and uh, you know reduce Reality Labs investment. Uh, and it's just like, I mean, this is kind of what was signaled in Q2. I mean, in some cases, like you know, like with the hardware costs of goods sold, you have evidence, and you got reporters from credible news organizations saying internally that they're they're in the midst of planning for, uh, you know, an opex cut that's significant, right? So why are you sending him a note when like he's going to say all these things on the call? It turned out they didn't say any of those things on the call, really. I mean, you can put it in a middle in camp. Uh, and yeah, it was the right move. I mean, within an hour, it was down another 20%. <laughs> so uh, if you'd really wanted to be savage, you would have shorted it, right? Like that's I mean, like the... You know, people typically don't want to jettison a position like, like maybe it'll bounce back. Like when you read something in your thesis is like that, like it's the easiest decision you could make, right? Like there's no reason to be committed, even if you told yourself, like you outlined from the beginning, I'm not going to trade this, right? That's like because I'm not going to sell it if it just goes up 10%. So like why would I why would I sell it if it just drops another 10? 
in this case, I think it was unique enough that like my expectations and based on the stock price action subsequently, I guess more, more than just me, uh, was that they would, uh, they would do all these things on the cost side that would like short term, you know, please the market from, from a communication standpoint, even though realistically, once you start going through it, like there's no, like, there's no reason for them to do anything that I was expecting. It was just a bad expectation. And it's a bad expectation. That's a byproduct of a macro environment. So yeah, so I sold it immediately, paid very little attention. Uh, then came back and read the transcript and I, and that really kind of opened my eyes, right? Because then I, like that's when you start being like, you know, part of what we've just been talking about is like you start really thinking, well, you know what? They never told me they were going to cut capex. So why the fuck did I think that was coming on <laughs> this call, right? Like essentially wishful thinking. And uh, I clearly didn't spend it, although it was a surprise. I definitely didn't miss this, but like, I'm sure if I'd done the work, you know, and, and preoccupied more with it, it was, would have been sensible to expect that after they launched the dev version, that a consumer version is coming in less than 12 months. Right. Uh, but yeah, that was the real, that was the real big surprise for me. Right. Like I haven't actually figured out the exact numbers yet, but I mean, there's definitely a lot of, a lot of cost of goods sold, uh, uptick baked into 2023 that like i like that was what caused me like to knee jerk puke it right because that was like very opposite of what i had been thinking so yeah the explanation for that is that they're they're launching the 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 consumer product there's not much else to say uh but the core business which i've been paying no attention to everything they said on that like which it was also really reflected by the revenues there, which were better than expected. Uh, was great, right? I mean, you read people like you know, there's like threads on Twitter where people are like, "Talk to my kids; they're not using uh, Meta anymore; it's dying," right? And like all that, like, I mean, unless it's a fraud, the DAU numbers, uh, the Reels engagement data he disclosed. Uh, the reels run rate number he disclosed, you know, from one to 3 billion. That's a really big, no, no one was expecting that sequentially. Uh, the uh, click to messenger ads, right? And click to WhatsApp uh, links. So like he disclosed that click to WhatsApp is 1.5 billion, up 80% year over year. Uh, click to messenger, you know, the, the whole general broader set of that, the click, click to, uh, is almost a 9 billion run rate. And he like pretty much told you that he thinks he's taking back some time spent engagement from TikTok. So like, if he's going to tell you that, I don't know, you think he's lying, right? Like they reported all these metrics that, you know, back up that what they're doing, uh, with the, with the, you know, move away from the kindness of strangers, uh, business model. Uh, which they're being forced to do, which was inevitable, right, is working. So when you look at that and you get a stock that is now 25% less, <laughs> right, and then this isn't like some little startup, uh, when this thing moves 25%, it's substantial, 
right? Like you're now talking $250 billion enterprise value. Uh, so you have to start like looking at it and being like, okay, they're spent, they're going to spend, let's do, let's do the CapEx Delta between 2020 and, you know, uh, 20, between 2021 and 22, 23 combined, right? As a one-off upgrade of your infrastructure. Okay. Like it's a cash outlay. Uh, and the running cost of it goes to cost of goods sold, right? Uh, right now they're depreciating that over 4.5 years, but like everybody in this space has essentially gone to like five or six. It seems like where all of uh, the cloud is settling on, you know, massive investments in infrastructure. You can make the case Facebook uh, could go even a little bit higher than the public clouds on this. Uh, if they really want to squeeze it. So yeah, take 30 billion, you know, divided by five. So there's like a $6 billion increase due to Apple, TikTok, social graph, right? Uh, $6 billion on like, you know, 120 billion uh, revenue base. You know, it's like, call it four, 400 basis points of gross margin impact and this is structural right like it's there uh it didn't exist before like what they had before was amazing uh too good to be true <laughs> if you want to say it uh you can't sit here and be like they're drunken sailors on capex right like they had a a close to 70 percent ebitda margin business right before like apple just gave them you know, gave them free access. Apple didn't care. I mean, more than half the time you spend on a, on a smartphone is on social media properties, right? So the relationship worked. And there's a lot of color, by the way, on that Apple relationship uh, that you can like really dig into if you want to get preoccupied. Uh, you know, Apple proposed to them, you know, we want to build businesses together. I don't know what that means when Apple tells you that in your Facebook. <laughs> but but like, it seems like one proposal was like, how, why don't you create a Facebook that's subscription with no ads? And we, we keep 30% of the subscription, right? Like it'll be ancillary to you and we get a cut. And I, I don't think they looked at it and said, well, we like one, people like to see ads. It's like going to the mall, right? Like it's actually part of the, part of the business model of social. So I don't really know like how big that addressable market was. Well, let's say that addressable market turned out to be bigger than they expected. Okay. Then like, it's, it's like a net loss, right. To their model because they have to off the top pay Facebook, uh, pay Apple 30% of it. Right. So uh, I'm sure Zuck in whatever meeting that was proposed or, or whoever was in a meeting that was proposed and then came to Zuck was like, are they out of their fucking minds? <laughs> Like we drive the, the reasons that you need a smartphone, right? And we have to do all this hard work to make the money and they have to keep making the smartphone better, right? Like, you know, we both are doing our part, like leave our business model alone and we'll leave your business model alone. And I'm sure at the same time as they're proposing that, he's also thinking, you know, and I tell them no, right? What are they gonna come back asking for next? We want to cut your ad revenue, right? 
we want you to pay a licensing fee uh, to access what you are able to access on our phone for your ad tech, right? And he's thinking to himself, I need to control whatever the next hardware platform is that is in every consumer's hand, right? Whether it's hand or on their head, it's, it's a VR, it's glasses, whatever, right? Maybe even one day it's him making, it up, making his own phone. So let me like let me in. jump in for a second because Go what ahead. I'm what what I think I wanted to sort of get your take. Well, you're sort of now moving into what's to come, and I'm thinking that a lot of people. I don't think there was a ton of bullishness on Meta even before the earnings. I think people are doubting Zuck and yeah, it's underperforming. I mean, that was like the whole altimeter note. It was like you're underperforming because of you know reality labs it's like well you're underperforming because there's a lot of things going on here that people are not <laughs> enthused about right like you're you can't like you're underperforming big tech and like i mean you saw microsoft google apple etc like you, ca you can't really make an argument for big tech uh having uh like they're not going through the same structural problems right i mean google pays apple 15 billion dollars a year reportedly right to be the default browser, they're they're held hostage. Okay, like that's just part of the model. The rest of them, you know, are dealing with, you know, just the macro. Facebook is dealing with the macro, and essentially this huge big change away from what they had for ten years is because it's not just IDFA, you know, and what you're dealing with Apple. It's that you know you, me, everybody else, three billion plus people on planet Earth, right, would create an account, add their friends build the social graph and then natively share uh, amongst each other and provide you all this information about what they're doing in their life, where they're traveling, whether they're single, uh, divorced, married, dating, right? Uh, got a new job, et cetera. Uh, and you would sell advertising into it at like a, just a ridiculously high ROI for advertisers, which is like a fantastic model, right? So that is now shifting to like, you know, they're spending more time, you know, on, on a TikTok where they watch music videos or whatever, right? And their friend graph is not relevant. So the content they're consuming is, is not really being shared by a network they built. Uh, it's being fed to them by a recommendation engine, you know, that's learning based on what they watch, how long they watch it, uh, what they click on, et cetera. Right. And that looks like a, you know, much higher impressions. Right. But, you know, lower pricing and more competitive environment. Right. Because once you scale a network of friends and a social graph, their incentive to go build it anywhere else is really zero. Once it gets that big. Whereas entertainment so, is just entertainment. Exactly. So, and I, I, mean, I guess the, that's a big point. Well, I, I think what's interesting is that I think a lot of people who were bullish probably would have come in from the reality labs as a distraction. The metaverse is whatever Zuck's fancy, but ultimately the core business and they and they you know your thesis of cost cost controls coming in makes a lot of sense. It sort of we'll get back, and I think what and that's where we can get back to what's to come. But it's 
both from your analysis and then from what Facebook has, or excuse me, Meta has talked about, Zuckerberg's talked about, like this is these this isn't just whether his analysis is right or wrong. The Reality Labs is not just some side project or some fancy. It's really meant to fundamentally update the core business. And I think people were kind of just portioning it off. I mean, I think, you know, I remember you were if one of the first. Works perfectly. Yes. If it works perfectly, you can sit in two camps, right? You can be like, this can work as a gaming business, right? Uh, well, like, yes, if it works perfectly, what he's saying is that like, this replaces the PC at work, right? Like it's your device that you put on, you know, if you're like an oil engineer and you're doing simulations or, it's a device if you put on if you're having a meeting with a client, right? Uh, it's what the devs use with each other to remedy some issue, right? And as it gets better, you know, maybe monitor infrastructure. Like he's looking at it as a potential leap forward from the PC, uh, you know, more so even than like, you know, it's just a place where like you can build a fictional house and like your avatar and go chat with people like that's you know part of the use case uh, or experience things really in like 3d and in an entirely immersive environment and play games etc which is like you know the gaming element of it but like he also is looking at it and say oh, look if you're going to travel if you're going to book a, a vacation right every resort is going to need to have one of these uh build software you know to give you your tour because uh, you're going to look at what your room looks like going to walk through it before you ever even go in and book it you'll see your suite you know you'll know what you're dealing with uh all these types of things right like you click on the tv you know you click on your computer and you go to a hotel and you see like you can click the several pictures then some of them have walkthroughs videos etc right but i mean if you've actually used oculus there are some examples of it already where you can like see what it's like you know, uh, at some fancy resort, right? If you're planning your honeymoon, you know, put it on and uh, visit exactly where you want to, where you're going to be going and then book it, right? Like that's the vision, I think, more so than uh, uh, for people, you know, uh, friends sharing uh, content and like hopping in because they're not physically present with each other or, you know, the, a souped up Zoom call, right? Where you can high five or, you know, be like, hey, come walk with me here. Let's play this game together, whatever it might be. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I and I think what people were, I think what you're, and then we can go back to like what's to come, the, the pressure on the current business, people, everybody knows about IDFA, everybody knows about TikTok, but and obviously everybody has seen what's happened in the ad industry overall at the digital advertising industry, but there, I think how those pieces fit. I don't think I saw a lot of, I, I, I think Facebook meta became attractive from a, you know, value orientation by the jockey, whatever else. And I think people are now, only starting to put together those two sides of the story as one cohesive story, whether it's again, whether the bet is a, a winner or not. I think the, 
the amount of spend that's going into it certainly elevates the risk. I mean, you, the stock is still, I just, as we're starting, the stock is still pretty cheap. I mean, it's at, um, I don't know if I finished doing trailing 25 months, but we're tra trailing 12 months, but it's not a lot, whatever, whatever the number is. Yeah, but I mean, it's kind of useless because net income is down 50% this quarter, right? right? I mean, Right. Um, so like you have to sit there and look into what's to uh, come. The, yeah. the core business lost a lot of profitability. I mean, look, Google's core business is not going through any of this. And, you know, they took a, what, a uh, 26% drop in net income, a uh, 20% drop in Google services, essentially on just under, it was like 19, I think, on operating income uh, for the core. So. He's got that, which is what's called post-COVID. Let's call it post-last 10 years. Let's call it pull forward, whatever. Uh, all kind of converging at the same time. And then he's got Metaverse. And he's got IDFA TikTok. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a multi-pronged problem, right? But IDFA TikTok, which is the most you know, important thing, it seems like whatever he's been doing and he's been planning for the last several years is working, right? It just happened to coincide uh, timing-wise, you know, like right at like their peak earnings, you know, which was good for him. Like they had the flexibility to buy back stock at the same, like, I mean, you saw that note on Twitter criticizing the buybacks and it's like, what would you, what would you have done with all that excess cash because you're you're essentially structurally over earning. You can't do acquisitions, right? Like you just have to return a good chunk of it to shareholders. Uh, could you say maybe like they could have had a view that uh, the macro, the bottom would fall out? Well, nobody had that view uh, last year. <laughs> that's why it's fall, that's why it's fallen out, right? Okay, fine. Some people had that view, right? But uh, uh, they weren't running these companies. What I also wonder, though, is uh, you could say that maybe he would be better off hunkering down and riding, you know, the uncertainty of the recession. I forget where I, I came across a compelling article. I think I read it in the finance. When I was on vacation, I read the Financial Times in print. And I think there was a point about during a recession, businesses are more likely to postpone their decision making until they get more clarity because whatever it, it, it's a sure bet. And so you could argue that he should be postponing his spending and waiting until we come through this before investing. And he obviously views or Facebook meta views this moment as more crucial to really invest in whatever's next. But and I also two things, right? Like one, he can't postpone, right? Right. Like one, he has to have finished yesterday. That's one important takeaway that people have to understand. Like he should be spending like yesterday on CapEx with respect to what he's doing with the core advertising business to address IDFA and TikTok, right? Like he can't spend fast enough there, right? Like you can make a case. I was trying to explain this to somebody. Like, look, Facebook has this big internal supposedly chip team. We've heard nothing about them lately. They were supposedly working on their own accelerator. They've obviously spent a shit ton of money recently on NVIDIA GPUs in the worst environment ever to be a, a captive buyer. Yeah. Not just a buyer, like 
one who needs it for everything across their entire massive global footprint infrastructure-wise, right? It's not like you're building one data center filled with GPUs, you know? You have a global business, you know, with multiple data centers. You need to put the, the, that machine learning capabilities at those endpoints in those servers, right? I mean, the, you, you can have a supercomputer for the heavy duty training, okay? But in aggregate, you have to upgrade everything. So like he's doing that across a massive footprint and you know, you can like maybe in a few years, he doesn't buy an NVIDIA GPU. He treats this the way Google did with the TPU, you know, for rank brain, uh, Google Translate, et cetera, right? And is deploying their own custom accelerators across all their data centers. Uh, yeah, and I'm. I guess what I I'm also just thinking about is I remember asking about this back pretty early on in this downturn. I can't remember when, but just sometime this year, like they have a they have a rock solid balance sheet. It may not be a Fort Knox balance sheet, but it's pretty. They're not in trouble in that perspective. And if you view the IDFA. TikTok threat is so pressing. And you also say, I need to go to where the puck's going. Like people are, investors are impatient to see companies controlling costs in the current environment. But I, I suspect the bigger issue in Meta's case is that nobody really believes in the metaverse as the next thing. And so then it just seems like you're throwing money at your at this thing that isn't going to actually get us where we need to go and the market is deteriorating i guess that's that i guess that would be what the market what we're seeing from the market reaction in all this no like people just don't beyond the impatience of just cut costs cut costs cut costs it's where you're going makes no sense to us and we don't really buy that you're um that you're going to get there. And maybe that's like, what, what are, where do you see Meta going right now? You've talked about they're spending more next year, at least, or, or let's say flat CapEx. What are, you, what are you seeing from Meta from here? Yeah, I don't think there's anything that I can give that's you know unique to my own you know, research. They've told me what they're doing, right? I'm just going to work off of that. I, the, the, there's some point where their investment year over year, right, uh, on the CapEx side is over. Then even if they're at a reduced margin, there's still that part of the cash flow returns because there's less going out the door. Yeah, you, you build your financial model and you're just like, all right, like it's done. Here's what uh, new depreciation expenses running are. Uh, this is how it works on a gross margin standpoint going forward, right? So it's still a very profitable business. Uh, it's just not as profitable uh, as it was before. But like they could, they could see benefits, you know, accrue to them over time from that as long as they're successful, right? I mean. Revenue, despite FX, is kind of you know it's growing. Uh, like wh whatever it is they're doing internally, 
is offsetting the pressures they're uh, facing. Well, I mean, I'm not saying like it's just like so far it's neutral, right? Like they're taking a headwind. They told you a 500 million or so plus headwind uh, on a quarterly basis. So, like the impression growth net of pricing, right, is translating into like you know minus one percent. That's their that's their headwind. They're telling you that you know the further they progress, that subsides. So revenue grows, you have a new cost basis, uh, and you grow operating income. It's not complicated, right? <laughs> Which is what you should be expecting for 2024. What ends up happening here is you write off 2023. Look, the idea like was fanciful of like, yeah, they don't grow, they're kind of flat, but operating income will definitely be down uh, relatively. I mean, like that's been happening in, in, in like way down from 2021, okay? But free cash flow is, you know, possibly, you know, 20%, maybe up to 40% higher in 2023, despite the operating income headwinds because of CapEx and, and Reality Labs uh, hardware side of things. And OpEx cuts. By the way, let's not like, we haven't even gotten to the point that like there are leaks that they're looking to make significant reductions, right, on headcount. The fact that they didn't say that on the conference call, you know, they don't communicate something that hasn't happened yet, right? But if they are in the process of it, and people are getting louder and louder about it, like an organization this big, it takes time, right? Like you're going to go through a lot of work to get to that point uh, before, you know, you institute a one-time round of layoffs. Like that's not something you do very often, right? Like you may do it once. In their case, it'll be the first time at this scale, right? So you're looking at doing something now that you're not going to do again, you know, maybe for the next five, 10 years, uh, provided things go your way, right? So it's not a rush job, <laughs> even if uh, even if people who are seeing the stock price decline, you know, 60% in a year, uh, want it to happen yesterday. So you can't sit here and say that like in six months, uh, we're not doing some sort of uh, chat about Facebook's announced round of layoffs. You know, there's nothing in that conference call. Like they gave you their planning. They can adjust that once they make those cuts. And those cuts, I mean, politically speaking, and just for a cultural standpoint for an organization, you do not want to be seen doing them, you know, on a mass scale after you just had your best year, right? <laughs> and you had all this turnover. Like people can, I mean, again, you can stick a $40 billion, how to get how Facebook gets the 40 billion in free cash flow. Well, Facebook did 19 billion and 20 billion in free cash flow, you know, in 2019 and 2020. Right. Like you can if you did the math and assumed it was growing at you know 20% CAGR, right? You get to 24, right? In 2022, you know, maybe 25, right? You get to 30, 
2023, Zuma starts growing a little bit slower, right? You're 35 in 2024, right? You hit 40 in 2026. You hit that in 2021, right? So I don't think a single person invested in the stock would have been like, you want like you want a short Facebook because you think that uh, free cash flow is only going to compound at 20% on a $100 billion business, right? People would be fucking happy. They're delighted with that. Right. <laughs> right? That's compounding, yeah. Yeah. So, like, you're literally talking four years full forward on a 20% CAGR is, the, is what the over-earn looked like in 2021. That's no joke, Daniel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, which goes back to what we've right? been talking about for two so years. Like, yeah, yeah. He can't. He can't model his business. He's like, I mean, it would be nice one day if one of these guys, you know, got on the call and was like, "Yeah, I read the letter. You guys are smoking crack. We were up a hundred percent in twenty twenty one. Maybe you should ask yourself why that happened." <laughs> you know, I mean, it's good. We all enjoyed it. It's great for the business, and I'm taking a big chunk of that and reinvesting. That's what I'm doing. Other people can't. Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's, a. we've been talking obviously about the hangover effects that we're going to shake through and are still shaking through a lot of these companies. And there's probably still another round or two of COVID related shakeouts. But then also, I think the business positioning here is what makes it a little bit different to your point, like all the, all the big names, and maybe we can switch to another one in a second, but all the big names sort of had COVID-related hangover reports this week, but Facebook has those extra dynamics, which makes it meta platforms has those extra dynamics, which makes it um, makes it trickier to, makes it more of a, you either have to do more work or you have to put more faith than you don't. Yeah, like ask yourself what the risks are here. Like if you're a big time, if you're running $10 billion or $20 billion or $5 billion, like, why aren't you buying 500 million here? Like, if you actually think about the cadence, okay, they've now, you know, people always say this, and like we like to say after one quarter, you know, they're like, you know, in a disaster, you end up with like an extreme disaster, like a Bed Bath and Beyond, but like Bed Bath and Beyond's metrics are going in the wrong direction throughout it. But if you look at Meta, they actually communicated to you officially this time that CapEx will step down in 2024, okay? So tick that box, right? So that should be interpreted as whatever these one-time investments that we had to make or this structural shift from the kindness of strangers business model that we've enjoyed uh, are done at the end of 2023, right? It's now just a running cost. And maybe, you know, they're not going to tell you, but maybe down the road, they can even save money on those costs with their own, you know, engineering and and designing their own chips, okay? Because they really are a gigantic, you know, closed-end internet for themselves. So that's one. Two, he's told you that the losses on Reality Labs, peak losses really are annualizing what you're at here in Q3, okay? That's been explicitly stated. I mean, there could be a deviation from it. but like their track record on communicating this stuff is good. They surprise positively when they communicate this stuff, right? So 
either there's more traction for reality labs, you know, via organic adoption, or he reduces the investment in it uh, starting in 2024. Okay. So like that's a tailwind. All right. And then he's given you the stuff around the core, which is great. Like it looks what he's doing is working. So what are you underwriting if you buy a big position here? That like Facebook metrics go south, right? Like DAUs start declining, which you know hasn't happened yet. Uh, and uh, you know the general view of you know it, it, that it's dying, which is really not supported empirically by anything. I mean, yes, if that materializes and you start seeing the metrics, uh, like that's you're gonna lose money, okay? Because then you have a whole type of different problem. But someone has to replace them for that to happen, right? Is it going to be Twitter? I don't think so, right? Like, I don't think that, like, that's the uh, direction that they're trying to go immediately. It's going to be Snapchat. doesn't seem like it. Uh, obviously, Google is a very different value proposition. And, uh, you know, like, there's an element where, like, TikTok is a different value proposition, and, like, he could back off somewhat. So. Uh, like that's it. That's what you're dealing with. The, the final element is just macro, and I think everybody has like. I mean, can you at this point really think about it based on like what they're going to report in Q, uh, Q for Q1 and Q2 guide? I mean, a softer macro environment to start the year next year is essentially now being discounted by everybody. So you like you're skewed on surprises to the upside. So where are your downside surprises? Like it would have to be something really bad macro-wise. And if that's the case, if you were to buy anything other than it <laughs> based on that, right? You're probably going to lose more in this space. So I guess that kind of sums it up, right? Like, yeah, that's, 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 I think a pretty, did you, like, so yeah. what are you, what are you doing? I don't have a position yet. Like it's really hard to buy something a week, sell it. You know, yeah. when you told yourself you wouldn't even think about it immediately and then buy it back again the next day. I mean, it's just as hard to like sell it, then short it, and then cover and then go long. Like, you have to be just a machine uh, whipsaw trader, uh, taking what you like, you know, that type of rapid decision making is, let's just say, professionally frowned upon as you build it over time. But clearly, there's some instances where you could really justify it. And I guess everything that I've said really justifies it other than the, the actual act of doing it is inherently typically unjustified. Does that make sense? Yeah, that it's the, on paper it lines up based on everything yeah, you, have you a said. Structure, you have an argument that you can back up, you know, with a preponderance of the evidence in every which way. And that you didn't have that argument beforehand. And that was a mistake. You got it right by selling it on that mistake. Now it's presented an opportunity that should force you to take the preponderance of the evidence that is now in the favor and actually take not only a position, a bigger one than you had before. Okay. But like I said, I mean, like there's, there's that. And then there is, you know, can you find other places where there's more interesting things that you feel uh, you have an edge over? And you have to at some point also adjust to the noise. Right. Like you can have these views 
are people really going to start thinking the same way as you? It's going to take some time. Yeah, and it seems like you have some time here also is kind of the point, like you have time. Yeah, maybe. I mean, Kramer has now completely written it off. He was doing like an entire segment on the metaverse, right? <laughs> yeah. like, I, mean, I don't know how Zuckerberg handles these things, but he's just like, tell me we're best friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Kramer. Like, can, can you actually communicate what I'm doing from an investment standpoint? Isn't that your job, right? But I wonder... I you enjoyed the toy and the experience and everything else, but like communicate what I'm doing from a business standpoint. That's what you're supposed to understand. You're not doing that well. You just like, you're like everybody else. You just wash your hands with me a month later. <laughs> I wonder if Kramer like is really, you know, there's the reverse Kramer ETF. I wonder if he like, I mean, he's an entertainer. He's he's bigger than ever now. No like, question, but he does think like a trader. So like, yeah, no, I know he does, but yeah, he's like people he laugh at him. But he's plenty huge. of people, so he must right. have, like there must be someone in his ear who thinks like me on this and is telling him this. I don't know. Maybe there isn't, but who knows? Yeah. Do you want to touch on Amazon a little too, or? Yeah, I get. I mean, look, I think public cloud was interesting just because you know we've talked about. Uh, then maybe being a, an early 2023 slowdown. And they decided to advertise that it had, had 2023 came, you know, uh, three months early for public cloud. Uh, I mean, I don't know. You remember there's like, you know, there was like the, that when I made myself AWS guy, uh, we were making fun of the Cowan model, which was like, get the retail for free. Yeah, well, insane assumptions around AWS for 2023 were like of consensus. And that's looking like laughable now. I mean, AWS top line grew like what, 4% sequentially? So they told you they exited the quarter, you know, around the mid 20s year over year growth rate. Like, you better be modeling Amazon, uh, AWS to be growing less than 20% which many people six months ago were telling you that's something that will happen eventually, but not anytime soon. <laughs> right. And I think the more interesting thing there, you know, look, you had an invitation to short that thing immediately. It had a 20% rally. And then Azure came out, Microsoft came out with their earnings. Uh, they told you that, you know, they expect a 500 basis point sequential decline in the Azure growth rate uh, next quarter. That's what they're modeling. And if you were thinking about, you know, and, and they said that, you know, uh, all their customers are looking to optimize spend, right? On infrastructure. There's this like thesis, I want to call it even a thesis, like, there's been this kind of view that's developed, you know, around software eating the world and like the tech bubble of, of 2000. I mean, like this is going to be different because the tech bubble, you had a bunch of businesses that, you know, saw like 80% declines, uh, you know, in, 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 in revenue or something, which is by the way, an exaggeration because like that didn't happen to Dell or uh, didn't happen to, to even Cisco. Right. Like you declined like double digits, 20% uh, for one year. It didn't happen to Microsoft, 
they're essentially flattish and then you know growing over 10% again immediately. So but the view was there was like a lot of shitty like some microsystems is your is your poster child for that, right? Like a bunch of startups go out of business who bought Sun servers, web servers, right? Uh, internet economy, you know, boom to bust, and all that shit, all that hardware because they're out of business goes on eBay, right? And you know, it's just like a GPU inventory correction, right? For mining, uh, you end up having a big year-over-year -year decline because there's a reseller market that pops up and your demand you know has been tattooed so i think the analog was that like public cloud is nowhere like that they support real businesses you know mcdonald's and ups and exxon mobile uh are running themselves on this uh, just as much as you know uh 10,000 startups that are VC funded, right? And in re and reality is that is true. And they're not going to turn out the lights tomorrow. But the first thing that they're going to look at if they've been spending for a decade and they're unprofitable and they're now constrained capital-wise uh, is where can we save money and where have we likely been inefficient with our spend? And without question, that's public cloud on the, on the core infrastructure. And and the good example I've always used of this, if you remember when we did the podcast on the Twilio buying segment, that there was like a nice, you know, segment blog post that predated the acquisition, in which they explained how they shaved like millions off of their AWS bill because their board. Ford came to them and said, hey, your gross margins are a problem for your valuation. Like if you ever want to go public or you ever want to be acquired, right? Find a way to get them up. And how did they get them up? You know, they got them up by optimizing their AWS spend, right? So just wonder like how many startups, like, you know, the first thing that they do is like they set up their infrastructure, they hire the devs, uh, they're paying Amazon, right? Uh, that's just like a like like that's not a place that they're looking, you know, uh, to cut costs, okay? As a startup, like that's where you just the bill comes and and you're paying it initially. Hopefully, you you have a bunch of devs, you know, who understand at the start how to spend efficiently, and like that's the difference between like you know. Uh, someone who gets out of the gate in a much better position and someone who doesn't. But like in aggregate, we can assume that that's not a super high priority, right? Like we can dedicate a bunch of resources to figuring out how to reduce this bill uh, because we want to sell the company, right? Like you're not there yet. Like you're, you're, you're looking to scale the company as fast as possible, right? So even, you know, like I, I pointed out in that write-up, like before he was the SPAC alphabet king, Shamath really had keyed in on this stuff, right? There was a wave, like right before I did the uh, uh, Once Upon a Time in Tech, right? Because I got into kindness of strangers and all these other things and, uh, you know, uh, the adjacent software applications and, and the whittling barriers by, that exist by integration and like how I can featureize you and like 
you know, like the, the stigma of being a, a feature versus a platform, right? And all the problems that occur with that, like once software is essentially all continuously developed and continuously integrated and exists in a network model, right? And there have been, you know, focus on that, like somewhere between 40, a couple of people did studies on it, 40 and 60% uh, of every VC dollar in a startup ultimately lands in the pockets of, you know, Facebook, Google, uh, or Amazon, right? And either some form of customer acquisition or, you know, infrastructure of core costs, right? And that, you know, buy big tech because they get rich off of this. Uh, the startups aren't generating the profits. The VCs are just, you know, funneling this money. Now, you didn't have anybody at that time who was like, hey, short big tech for when it bursts, right? Because they're, they're the over earners and there's essentially a pair trade. Like if you have Bill Gurley and all these VCs arguing for these companies to get fit, right? And everybody's like, we will be operating margin positive. Uh, you know, we're working our direction here. We're looking to improve gross margin. And you're hearing this from, you know, it's not just them. It's like the Zooms of the world and everybody is pointing out like where like they're getting better at doing this. So if that becomes the case, right? Then it's perfectly rational to have this expectation that you are fast approaching a point in time where the public clouds come out and tell you that our customers are looking to save money and they're finding ways to do it with us and we're going to work with them. Right. And like that was the nature of the call. I mean, if you do the math on AWS, you know, the initial reaction was like, oh, they were expected to grow 30% on the top line, uh, constant currency. They grew 28, right? That's a miss. That's what hammered the stock. You know, like the retail beat on the quarter, like some disappointment on the guidance for the next quarter. But like, you know, AWS supposedly was the explanation for how it dropped immediately. But if you look at AWS, the story wasn't the top line. The story was, you know, constant currency wise, uh, they grew 1% operating income. All right. So 28% revenue growth, 1% operating income. So, like, how did you land there for, for a business like this? Operating margins report on an as reported basis were 26%, right? They were 35% at the start of Q1 because they changed the server life at the end of last year. Right. So like that caused that big uptake where people got excited in the beginning of the year, the stock rallied. And I was just like, that's kind of stupid, but <laughs> it's like, you're not changing the structural probability of this thing. Uh, you're just, just the accounting. Yeah. Yeah. So they've all been, I mean, look, it's a real cost if they actually are spending less then like you will see the benefit, you know, in, in free cash flow margins down the road. Right. Uh, uh, on, on, if, they, if there's a, a longer life to the hardware. So it is a true operating margin expansion uh, over time. But like in a comparison uh, year over year, right? Like you have to do it on a like for like basis. So if you do it like for like, they were 30.3% last year, uh, readjust for the currency, uh, adjust for the, the, the server life change, which they disclosed for you. And, you know, you land at 19.5. So how did you go from 30.3 to 19.5? Uh, 
well, they have a huge step up in SBC, right? Year over year technology and content SBC, which is largely uh, AWS, according to them, was up 1.3 billion, right? So even if you net that back and say, because it's a real cost. I mean, if you have to pay engineers more money and you have to cut them more stock, I mean, you know, and the stock comes down and you revalue, et cetera, and you have to issue more restricted units, that's just part of your cost structure for the business. But let's just say you say, you know, this is a one-off because of what happened in the market. Uh, you still are landing at a 400 basis points margin contraction, right? Organically, year over year. So. You look at what they reported, and they reported backlog growth, which was obviously way more impressive than revenue growth. And they're telling you that we're willing to go to customers and uh, get longer term commitments, right? Uh, and that's having some impact. That's called discounting, right? So, like, there's a component of it which is discounting, there's a component of it which is less usage, okay? And there's a component of it, which is higher energy costs. I don't think many people were thinking about that with these businesses when they were talking about, yeah, you know, talk to me in 2026 about less than 20% revenue growth, right? So, I mean, even if you're bullish on the fact that they're doing this, you would have to apply a lower forward multiple to the revenue growth, you know, that comes from that backlog in, in years ahead, right? Because they pulled it forward by discounting now to secure it. So that has its own impact where like you adjust the multiple. And like, you know, going back to how we talked Facebook, like maybe thinking one year is too short-sighted, right? And you should be thinking that these things, like you really should be looking at like a normalized multiple, you know, on a sustainable free cap, build your own GCF over 10 years, right? And, uh, and do the math. You know, and apply a sensible multiple, and that those that, that that's really the driver. You know, more so on valuation than than one year forward. Of course, the one year forward numbers are falling off a cliff, right? Because if you actually did it on a one year, uh, one one year forward, like this is another company that just had a huge operating income drop. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's massive, right? In a business, people were, were like, that shit ain't never dropping, right? Like, it's not the type of shit that drops overnight. This isn't some microsystems. Well, I mean, do the math here, right? Like, uh, it's flat if you add the SBC, okay, and you view it as a one-off. If you actually adjust it for the currency, you know, and the server, and you do it year over year, you know, you had a double-digit decline in operating income with real costs. And, you know, the, the mega bears of the world will tell you SBC is a real cost for these businesses. And, you know, it is. <laughs> but, uh, so, yeah, I think that was uh, kind of notable. I think it's probably better for long-term investing that it's happened now and not, you know, sometime in 2023 because it's now like an expectation. So everything consensus is gonna start coming down. Uh, and that creates room, you know, eventually for some upside. 
but like I do think that this is a like it just started so like it's a headwind right like it's not something you look at and be like it's going to be done next quarter when they like it you know if next quarter they come in you know what one basis point better it's like oh it's, it's not as bad as we thought right like there's a lot of lumpiness to this stuff clearly and like the fact that it just started like you should just assume that this is well we're approaching a a growth rate going forward that will be considerably lower than the growth rate uh that has been the case you know for the last five years and like there's a, a component of it also that's COVID hangover which not at all or i mean obviously related because the same company but you didn't the retail story didn't come up there at all is that even relevant to this like aws that was the whole joke right you get the retail retail for free at the current pricing which was sort of the meme but the retail business also would seem to have covid hangover effects still to work through well i mean some of it was better right like if you actually went through it the e-commerce thing was was you know a notable year-over-year improvement third-party seller component i don't know whether there's pricing in that the subscription revenue, the advertising, like those three pieces, you know, had like the Q3. Uh, I mean, there, there's part of that Q3, which I was concerned about, like if you were just trying, because a lot of people were working off the data. The data was right on the retail business. That was all stronger, right? But the Q4 looks like it's weaker. And what happened Q3, Q4 last year? What was the notable stand out in Q3, supply chain, right? So customers couldn't deliver. There's a lot of missing, you know, around uh, not being able to get what they needed. And then, you know, a better Q4. And if you remember, Amazon rallied on, on that after dropping. Uh, so the better Q4 versus the Q3. This year, it's like a better Q3 you know, uh, versus that year over year comp. And then like, uh, still, still a question mark on the Q4. And the Q4 guidance obviously disappointed in aggregate. But it's always been a hard one, you know, like, I mean, it's very hard to value the non AWS. And then there's been the people who've just kind of like, you know, they just want to slap an EV to sales multiple, right? Uh, and, 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 and think that like, you can generate the same type of free cash flow conversion and not have to really think more about it for the infrastructure business. And that just got tattooed. I think you have a lot more people who are going to be like, okay, I really like this is uh, this infrastructure business isn't the, like part of it still can be like a utility power company, you know? Like there's that there's that component there. Yeah, and that's maybe the last thought I have for the for all of this is I, I mentioned at the beginning, I think, that one interesting thing about last week was that all those big names sold off. Google, Microsoft after they issued their guidance, Amazon, Meta, which Meta, I guess, doesn't have the same weight it used to, but 
uh, Apple did not sell off and the market rallied a ton on Friday, but the market as a whole had a strong week. And it's one of the, you know, the whole, we don't get a bear market until the generals get shot sort of thing. It's just interesting to see. I think we've well, put- The market has a positioning issue, right? Like we've been seeing it for over two weeks where I mean, things got really bearishly positioned. So, I mean, the energy sector is doing great. Uh, there's a lot of like, you know, broad-based signals in the consumer, right? That are still solid. So like what, like, uh, like these guys are kind of localized with the problems. And uh, I mean, I think that's uh, like, nobody's reporting uh, on this scale, the type of hit that, that they're reporting. They're obviously exposed to some very unique dynamics year over year because they did so well the year before, right? So I think that's kind of what stands out there. Uh, I didn't spend much time on Apple. Um, you know, a lot of people, it's turning into a graveyard for like, like the whole general gets shot thesis. Like by the time it does, I don't think anybody will be buying puts on it. <laughs> but uh, I do think that like the way it traded on Friday and the way a lot of these traded on Friday, like, you know, I mean, Amazon did come down to like 88, 87, close at 103. Uh, there was a lot of, uh, there was a lot of flow driven you know, uh, movement in the market that was, let's call it uh, high level macro, like whatever you want to call it, CTAs, uh, quant funds, et cetera, uh, index trading that uh, felt really, you know, it was really good for, for buying the dip from a positioning standpoint. And remember part of this thesis, like if you want to look in software for, for, for startups, you go back to the whole 40, 60 cents of, of the dollar are spent on them. These companies are going to be spending less, right? There's, they're going to claw their margin, a component of their margin structurally going forward from big tech. So it's a pair trade on, you know, short one long the other, right? If you're thinking high level. Every one of those companies who's a customer of, of them, right, is looking to find ways, you know, whether it's how they move their data around, where they store it, right, what tiers they're on, uh, what they're spending on advertising, et cetera. Uh, they're all looking to optimize uh, going forward. So they're more profitable and their businesses are more sustainable. And that's at the expense of big tech. Well, and and also big tech suffers from less startup formation, right? So if every VC is scrutinizing every deal now and you don't have Tiger trying to do an investment every 45 minutes, right? Then a startup and you believe the whole, you know, uh, 40 cents to 60 cents of a VC dollar lands in big tech, there's less VC dollars to land in big tech's pocket. Yeah, and I, th I think what I, that we take... We've taken for granted so long that advertising is an amazing business, that Google search is the best business in the world, that Amazon Web Services is 
unstoppable, et cetera. And it's not that they're bad statements. They're not bad businesses, but yeah, there's challenges. There's, there's, they're real businesses. Nothing's perfect. Nothing nothing that exists that is like, uh, you know, just what is, what is a unicorn? What a fictional creature, Daniel. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So Uh, every business, you know, like I bought some Halliburton last week. Right. So like, uh, every business has its place. Uh, just thinking about the Exxon that I'd gotten, right? I mean, like you look at some of these things, it's like I had a hard time convincing some people. It's like, you know, it's a 7% yield, right? This is before the stock has essentially, I don't know, it's not doubled. It's like 85%, right? Nobody wanted to buy it. You know? uh, I mean, I agree. The stuff that we focus on is more fun. And there's been a decade of it, but there's nothing like at the end of the day, it all will ultimately boil down to after tax free cash flow. Right. The other thing with tech, which I got into, which I don't know how you have a strong view on it or whatever, is, you know, I've done these comparisons to the 1970s, uh, the Nifty 50. You know, a lot of people talk about the bear market that hit them because they all got to like 50 plus PEs or whatever. And remember that those those companies were paying, you know, after tax. Uh, uh, sorry, they're paying tax rates, you know, over fifty percent, right? So on an operating income basis, like, you know, the the Nifty Fifty wasn't like as bad uh, as where we landed in two thousand, you know, on blue chips, okay. And like a lot of people don't think about that, but like when you do think about that and you look at big tech, uh, and we only had a few to look at because they were much smaller, but they were still big. But like if you look at what they were paying, like everybody was essentially paying a 40% tax rate, right? At the turn of the millennium, uh, the corporate level. So you went through a period from, which was probably the biggest driver of your compounding over those 20 years from like 1972 to the where corporate tax rates just came down, right? And the tax code changed. Uh, And I mean, even at the 40%, it was still better than where things were before when, you know, it started to tick back up again. But like you had a budget surplus at the end of the millennium, right? In the United States, you had far less levered countries from a debt to GDP standpoint, whether you want to talk about Japan or all of Europe or whatever. And now you're looking at these companies with effective tax rates like 12 and 13 and 14%, right? You know, who are doing like 100 billion in EBITDA, (laughs) okay? Uh, While the left is sitting here, you know, uh, just talking about like, I mean, every day, I don't know what's wrong with Robert Reich, but he has some posts about, you know, Mars candy bars. The prices went up this much, but the cost only went this. Corporate greed is driving inflation. You know, it's like oil. Here's what's happening here. And it's like, well, there's one sector, which is the poster child for it, uh, that I think both parties, you know, will ultimately agree upon. And that's probably big tech, right? So, like, if you look at big tech today and you say, what are they likely to be paying in taxes? five years from now and 10 years from now, I think the answer would be just 100% higher. (laughs) And I mean, 
like let's say they went back to 40 percent right like let's say that that's actually what they paid uh in an effective tax rate they can double operating income and after tax income is down 20 percent that's meaningful <laughs> right yeah that's uh am i putting you to sleep i'm trying to do the math in my head is what i'm trying to do I'm also, okay. I'm also looking at a at a chart which sort of let's say you, you have a hundred billion in uh, income operating income and you pay ten percent right that's ten billion in taxes so, so nine billion left 90, over yeah right so now you okay. go to two hundred but you're paying now now let's say that uh, you know what's the number at forty percent to do ninety if you go to if you double a hundred and it's two hundred. Uh, and you pay 40% in the 200. Yeah. Right. Uh, I was just so, doubling the tax. I was starting from 20. That's why I was getting stuck. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's like, look, I mean, you're essentially yeah. break even. It depends on where, where you land effectively. But if yeah. it goes to 40, you know, it can be as much as down 20 to, you know, up 10. Right. Point is, it's a big deal. Uh, I don't know if we're going to 40. We're definitely not going to 40 for everybody. Right. Like, yeah, um, like yeah, people, yeah. you know, there seems to be much happier with lower corporate tax rates. But like if it comes down to lower corporate tax rates or way higher personal income tax rates, right, you have to look at these companies as potentially targeted, you know, for uh, excise tax, essentially, right? Like you, it will be at the sector level. And what, what either the windfall taxes or what the EU is trying to yeah, do with Some tech. sort of form of penalty uh, that singles them out and results in them paying an effective tax rate that's way higher than they're currently paying. And, you know, that means you want to be short them on that and long who benefits, which is like the long tail of companies that compete. And I would assume by the time that gets there, there would probably be some sort of trigger, you know, like a, like a big tech, you know, threshold, right? And as soon as they do that, they will break themselves up. <laughs> You know, yeah, they will separate them into much smaller businesses and to avoid that tax penalty. Which is all, yeah, which was what seemed the 2000 election that or 20 election that seemed like the most obvious area for bipartisanship and hasn't played out yet. But with you know, we don't need to go into the midterms. I mean, this is how you force it from a shareholder, you know, yeah. response to a regulatory dynamic. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, you have a bunch of smaller companies that are competing against each other and that can uh, uh, deserve a higher multiple again and uh, can do acquisitions again. And, you know, a bull market begins. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I'm looking at a chart right now, I guess, from Callum Thomas um, that's are saying that the next 12 months PE multiple and it shows the five largest stocks in this S&P 500 versus everything else. And, you know, and that's where some of the, because you mentioned the blue chips in the dot-com and nifty 50, like there's that crowding element in with passive investing and all that. Like that's another, it's not where we spend a lot of time, but it's also interesting to think about like that group think around the biggest tech companies in the world also reinforces itself in market dynamics. And as that unwinds, that may, the unwind may overextend on the downside too. And so that's uh um, yeah, it makes it interesting. 
It was a good week for small cap investing last week. Not that it, you know, not that you're measuring on a week to week basis, but uh, yeah, it's an interesting. You wouldn't. It's think, rational, right? I mean, the point yeah. is to come up with these explanations. There's a lot of people who are like, "Fucking hell," you know, I'm, I'm going to get killed today if Amazon and these guys are down. And uh, it was a fantastic week, right? And I mean. Uh, look, I, I'm not looking for anything to support the, the particular shorts I'm in because they aren't mega, ta- mega cap tech stocks. So I would prefer that the, that there isn't that type of tailwind. But we are also like ridiculously oversold. I don't mean like we've been talking about that, you know, for a month now. So like, you know, if you're short stuff here uh, and you're not getting killed, probably because your security selection has been exceptional, right? And like, that's, that's really it. And like, you know, once there's a decent enough rally, you know, maybe you actually look at shorting more. Or you look at the, I, I mean, I think there's a, a lot of stuff to think about with the economy uh, coming next year. Uh, what happens with housing, uh, you know, what happens with energy, these types of things. Uh, I, I guess employment as well. And we're coming up on a jobs report this week. Uh, you know, what's going to be the initial reaction to the first, you know, really weak print? Is that going to be extrapolated uh, positively? You know, is now like we're going to be losing that many jobs every month? <laughs> or uh, is the Fed going to be like, you know, we need to see, you know, six months uh, of an average that would be negative? Uh, to start thinking about changing course, right? Combined with, you know, more subdued inflation. But like, without question, the macro, the macro stuff is the pain, the the most painful adjustment which people had been, uh, let's just say, complacent, ignorant of, etc. Is over, right? Like, if if you didn't get that, if you got that, you weren't long this, and your portfolio was up over the last year. If you were really concentrated. And you thought it was a buying opportunity, you're probably down 60, 70%. <laughs> you know, you're hammered. Yeah. You you ran into 2000, you're lost interest in the market. I mean, I've seen that, like whether it's spaces or Twitter, or et cetera. Or you're Elon and you pay 30 <laughs> billion more, right? <laughs> we made uh, it through the whole episode without talking. We with only one well, brief mention. Of, I mean, one brief say, mention. Yeah. You know, the we did crush it on that one that did play out. I mean, I was looking back at some of the uh, like you know, Professor Galloway being like, it won't happen, he, he doesn't want it. Uh, you know, we had the former Supreme Court Delaware person, yeah. it won't happen because the court will not want to be they're intimidated by him, essentially speaking. Uh, I mean, even former executives uh, at Twitter being like, you know, their MDA user, fine, but he'll just pay a billion, right? Like, I mean, kind of a lot of people weighed in and Compound and I were joking about it because, I mean, it really was great in the middle. Uh, before they even came out with their complaints, right? Uh, their response to his uh, termination letter and their lawsuit, like... You just had so much, and it like it proved to be exactly what it was. And the Elon factor was the reason this happened the way it did. Yeah. 
I mean, we like we, we, we. I was on a space discussing Scythians last Friday, right? <laughs> I mean, like the stock trading the stock, you know, for a seven percent trade pre market. Uh, yeah, you're just like what? <laughs> yeah. I did, and then like, and, and you should have you should have held that too. But like, you're like, I can't. I mean, I already have exposure. Like, what am I doing here? I thought you said Cepheus and CFIUS. I was, for some reason, I the closest thing I could hear was Sidious. And I was trying to yeah, see what the Darth we're, Sidious we're, angle is here. We're literally having like a high level debate uh, and like listening to legal experts talk about Cepheus, which is applied to foreign entities or people, right? Or governments <laughs> with respect to Elon's uh, acquisition vehicle, right? Like, He's a U.S. citizen. <laughs> you know, on, on the surface, he does not he does not take any of those boxes. And then it becomes, yeah, but like, how could they review it if they wanted to review it? Well, they could say that some of his investors who are foreigners who have no control, you know, actually are, you know, uh, like what is defined as control? Because like he's already come out, like we know he's the majority, and he said they'll have no say even on a sale or refinancing or whatever, right? Let alone on how, how it's run. So like it's point blank disclosed from the shareholder agreements. That's like, what control, <laughs> right? So then you're like, okay, there's no way they can do it, but maybe they could do it if Elon's a spy. <laughs> and like the US government determines that. It's like, well, is that like, is that something that's happening in a week? And more so like, what does that even imply? And then like, is this America? Do we have due process? Like, you know, like Dennis Rodman can go hang out in North Korea, right? Like Elon uh, can talk to other foreign leaders all he wants. <laughs> it's it's he real. Him a spy. The the whole affair really demonstrated the best and worst of yeah. Twitter. You can pull a security clearance, right, for like government projects for SpaceX, but like he's smoking weed on uh, what's his name's podcast, Rogan. So, like, you know, if you wanted to pull his security clearance, he's given you other reasons to do it. And then the White House comes out and denies that. I mean, like, the stock gets a, you know, a 3% move, uh, you know, Monday or whatever it was. And there were still people. There was one guy who was like, you know, he put like, he came out and tweeted, he put 25% of his net worth, shorted at 52. And I was like, why are you not buying puts? Like, I get it. This was just like a few weeks ago. And he blocked me immediately, by the way, which I found like stupid. But I'm like, what, you know, like I get the whole idea of like, I can only lose $2, but like, you know, the argument was like, it was right after Snapchat and it's like Snapchat's here, uh, Facebook's here, even before Facebook's last fall, like where would Twitter be? $8, you know, the number kept going down. And a lot of people are just like, you know, I'm, I'm chasing that. I'm like, well, if that's the case, you know, get paid a hundred X, right? <laughs> like. You know, it's not a trade where you're like, oh, I only lost this percentage. It's like, take that percentage that you are willing to lose and put it in the most out of the money puts that you can find. Yeah. Yeah. Show. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I, I, the whole affair really showed the best and worst of Twitter in terms of the expertise that burbled up and the not expertise that burbled up. Yeah, I mean, there was some awesome stuff. The Chancery, Andrew Walker did some great stuff. He, he did a bunch of good spaces. Uh, I don't remember the name of the professor. Tally. 
I think. Well, yeah. there was Tally and Anne Lipton Eric, was the yeah. other. Yeah. Eric Tally uh, yeah. and Anne Lipton were the yeah. two Anne stars. Tally, uh, obviously Compound. Uh, I mean, there was there was plenty of good work. Jeremy Raper. And there was there was many who I think uh, you know got really on top of this thing, and you know it, it rewarded those who spent the time. Mm. And then you saw at the end. Remember, we had that conversation. Why was like a Carl Icahn not here? And Turns he out was. he was. <laughs> you know? Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of big names. Einhorn was there. Yeah. Icahn. Icahn, Einhorn. Einhorn taking a victory lap. He's having a great year. So there was a, a lot of well-known names who, who took really large positions and did not feel like involving themselves in uh the direct back and forth and there's probably a good explanation for that and we discussed like you don't it's not something you necessarily want to put yourself you don't want to involve yourself in it maybe publicly in the way you typically would have as an activist you just want to be like oh i can make some really good money on this and i'll be really quiet uh and i mean like yeah it's like the world's richest man and a bunch of you know billionaires picking his pocket <laughs> Right. So there's a, there's, you know, that element to it, which became obvious at, uh, at the end. And why not? Like they get the, they get how this works, you know, it had to be like right in their wheelhouses. So I'm sure they're, you know, reading the type of work that was being put out, listening and, uh, and playing it. The media definitely helped the trade. There's not much else to say. Yeah. Yeah. Lots kept. I did not take that last bite on the Cepheus stuff, but just kept being bites at the apple as the, you know, and not that easy, but yeah, quite a, quite a experience. In hindsight, it's 2020, but yes, like how else could it really have played out? It would have just been a mess, you know, like, it was the most transparent buyer's remorse example in history. And we've, we've just literally gone through like the tattooing, everything took in the space. You can't, you can't argue that like how these assets are priced structurally changed in a very short time period. And it'll probably change again in another direction at some point. Right. But he had the worst timing of all time. I mean, I don't think that there's anything on record that's, like you should make like an Oceans 14 or 15 or whatever. And Danny Ocean's plan to get $30 billion is uh, get Elon to buy something <laughs> before it collapses. Ah, uh, yeah. Oh, he's not known for his patience. All right, let's wrap it there. Good stuff, Akram. Let's, uh, Always a pleasure. Let's make sure we do it again quicker next time. So take it easy. Right. Thank you for listening to The Razor's Edge. Subscribe to this wherever you get your podcasts. Hit us up on Twitter at at Daniel Shortman and at Akram's Razor with suggestions, requests, or anything else. We aim to publish this every Tuesday morning and love to hear from you. If you can share this with a friend or leave a review on Apple Podcasts, we'd really be grateful as that will help the podcast grow and improve. This has been a Shortman Studios production. Our theme song is Move On by Soquel. Thank you for listening and see you next week.